everyone. Greetings all. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your ever-humbled host, Ray Harkins. I'm a little little keyed down today because I'm tired. I don't know if it's just a matter of me getting older, but I have to make note of this. Today, the day that you're listening to this, is my birthday. I turned 34 years old. I'm old. I'm getting to that uh, mid-30 range. And man, I'm I'm practically dead in the independent music scene. So yeah, thank you. Happy birthday. I appreciate the well wishes and anything you decide to send my way. Yeah, I'm just tired. And I, I, I don't know exactly why it is. Maybe it's just because I maybe I'm tired at looking forward to all the traveling I'm doing in October, going to New York City, going to Philly, going to someplace else I'm totally forgetting right now. Oh, Seattle. That's also a place I'm going to. Uh, I'm looking forward to it all because it'll be fun to connect with friends, but I'm, I'm just tired. But more on that in a minute. Let's let's talk some guests. Let's talk some business. The person who you have come to listen to this week is the lead vocalist of a band called Architects from the UK. Not to be confused with an Architects from Kansas City, Missouri, but Architects from the UK, Sam Carter. Sam Carter is a one of my favorite people. I know, that that's like total hyperbole. Hold on, let's get some business, then we'll talk about Sam, we'll talk about some stuff. So a lot of you, and when I say a lot of you, healthy amount, I, like, I don't know, 20 or 30 people have been writing into me recently. We've been trading emails back and forth, and I just love to get that feedback. Thank you so much for corresponding with the show. It's awesome. Like That's why I do this, to connect with people, to share experiences, and it's great. Like, I mean, it blew my mind because at Riot Fest, whatever, a few weeks ago, I was hanging out at the No Sleep Records table. Nice little plug there, right? And a person came up to me and was like, hey, are you are you Ray? Dude, we were listening to your podcast on the way up here to the show. And like, they just, it was so awesome to have that real life connection of people who enjoyed the show. And it was, I don't know, I just loved, I'm totally forgetting his name. And it's irrelevant because I could care less if he remembered my name, but it was such a rad connection. And to just discuss the stuff that you know they found meaningful in the podcast it was just so awesome for me so thank you so much for this recent outpouring of support so visit our media partner propertyofzach.com visit the show's website 100wordspodcast.com if you'd like to correspond an email little link is on the right side of the page and i also urge you urge you to go sign up for our email newsletter now I'm sending it out to about, I don't know, five, 600 people. It's awesome. But basically once a week, I will send something out, usually on every Monday, basically recapping the show, talking about some behind the scenes stuff. I just find it, it's it's more fun to write at length about this stuff than be reserved to 140 characters on Twitter or something like that. So anyways, do that. I would really appreciate to open up a dialogue with you on that medium as well. And speaking of cool stuff that's been happening, donations. You guys are awesome. I always feel weird weird just being like, oh, pay money for this thing. It's free because everybody does it. Everybody who's doing something on their own and giving away stuff for free is begging for your money. And that's from the smallest of podcasts to the largest of media empires are begging for money. And I, I don't want to seem like I am just kind of falling in line with everybody else because realistically, I didn't start this thing to to make money. I just did this because it was a fun thing for me to do. And it's now expanded to the point where, okay, I put a lot of time and effort into this. I would like to continue to put more time and effort into this. That's the trade-off, basically. If you continue to donate, I will be able to do more fun stuff. Like, I want to be able to, like, fly out to a city and just be like, yo, let's do these interviews today with these three cool people 
and I will get the face-to-face interaction that is so absolutely crucial to the the interviews, you know? It's like, I mean, I have a limited amount of time, so sometimes chatting with a person over Skype is just straight up easier. Like this interview with Sam, that's over Skype because he's in the UK. There's no way I could spend $1,200 to fly over. Or if he's in the States, he's usually on tour and it's really tough sometimes to get a person for an hour. But anyways, I digress. Donations, Roman R in Ireland and Kimo L from Finland. You, I am literally pointing to you. Thank you so much for giving money. It's so awesome, and I really appreciate that. United States, step up. The donations I've received recently have all been from international folk. What is it? Why do, do the United States people not find this of value? I don't think so, because a lot of you downloaded from here. So, United States people, step it up. We got to, uh, you know, we're number one and all that other patriotic stuff we're supposed to say. So, anyways, but th- in all seriousness, thank you so much for the donations. And uh, I posted a bonus episode, I don't know, about two weeks or so ago. And check it out because a lot of people were really into that episode. Like I got a lot of feedback and I'm getting emails now for my producer, Tom Richfield. It's awesome. I'm forwarding them along to you, Tom. There you go. Yeah, it was a nice little behind the scenes look and kind of a a greatest hits recap of funny stories about the show and just other cool moments. So yeah, duck into that. Basically once a month, I'm going to try to put out some sort of bonus piece of content for you. So there you go. Keep your eyes peeled. Enough business, enough pouring out of gratitude. Sam Carter. You can probably go back to episode, gosh, 18, 19, something like that. I interviewed uh, the brothers from Architects, play guitar and drums respectively, Dan and Tom. And so this is this is a rare occurrence where I have multiple people from a band on the show. But uh, basically, I want to have like almost every single member of Architects on this podcast because I enjoy them as a musical unit. I enjoy them as people so damn much. And so the last time Architects was in town, hung out with the guys and Sam was like, let's do that podcast. I'm like, you know what? That would be a great idea. So we connected over Skype. It was like a few days before this crazy summer festivals they were playing. So it's like he didn't need to spend this time with me. But that's the sort of connection that I just love to have with, you know, friends that are creative where they're just like, dude, I don't give a shit. Like this will be a nice, fun thing to do. And it's exactly what it was. Architects, for those of you that are in the know, they are a uh, modern metalcore-ish band from the UK on Epitaph Records here in the States and I think worldwide as well. But just a hardworking band has put the time and effort into creating something that they ultimately truly believe in. And it's amazing. So I could care less if you like the band, you will listen to this interview with Sam and hopefully be more endeared to them and maybe even check them out. I'm actually getting lightheaded. That's how much I'm talking. Maybe I should breathe. Here's my conversation with Sam. I will talk to you after. entry point to to you and kind of cool. you know the the band and everything like that so i but more particularly you because that's why i'm here i care about you not the band you picked your favorite you had tom and dan before me so and that you yeah. know saving the best for love it, I, and you i think you are only the second band to have uh two like more than one member i've, I've done two dudes in law dispute and then you are the yeah, you're you're breaking molds all over the place, my friend. Well, that is a that is a real pleasure. Thank you, Ray. It's it's my pleasure. But <laughs> I mean, obviously the first time we met is when I went over there to travel with you guys to was it Ghost Fest? Is that what it was called? 
Yeah, that was it. Ghostfest. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, wow. Yeah. You're Ghost... better than mine. I, obviously, I know Ghostfest, but I could just it's just all come flooding back that you came with us to Ghostfest. I, I had already, you know, developed a relationship with with uh, you know your old manager Leander, and it mm-hmm. was, it, you know, I we immediately broke out and was like, okay, we come from the same cloth. But then yeah. meeting all you guys, it's so weird, and I, I know that you experience this as well when you meet certain bands and certain people that you just like you know as you would say in the uk you just get along with them yeah you just click (laughs) and it's so strange because it can it happens within like like five minutes yeah you know within five minutes you know when when you meet somebody whether you can be that person that goes up to them and is like oh do you want to come find this place to get food with me or you know do you want to come and hang out you know those times where you can meet someone and you know that you're not going to struggle for conversation or feel awkward because that sometimes happens when you meet people for the first time yeah but that, that didn't happen with us no no and it, i just immediately yeah i for lack of a better term fell in love with each and every member of the band <laughs> and it was like i don't know it just it, it's still to this day, like when I, I, anytime anybody speaks about you guys, I'm just always like, they're not like any other band. Like, oh. in, in, and honestly, in the respect of just like how you guys are as, as people and how you come together as a cohesive unit, to me, it's strange because you guys like get along brothers, like you hate mm-hmm. each other, yet you love each other. Yeah. And you've been able to keep this thing rolling for as long as you have during the most volatile times in people's lives, which is like teenagers. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I mean, is it just weird for you to reflect that like, hey, I guess we're still like here. Is that like successful? <laughs> it's, it's, you know, what, what's really strange is, is obviously we grew up uh, playing music together. And I think we spent most of our like, you know, kind of I wouldn't say childhood, but, you know, like when you grow up, you kind of grow into being men, I guess. We spent that time sort of on tour, you know, we spent that time living in in each other's pockets. So essentially it was, we have become a a family kind of. So, you know, you know, when people need their space and you know, when people want to hang out and, you know, what, but what baffles me is just the longevity of the band. You know, I've seen so many bands, you know, in our, in our career come and go and release records and do well and get front covers and win awards and then split up and, you know, I think the thing that boils down to is we were just, well, the four of us now, but at the time it was five. I mean, well, there's technically five with Adam who's playing guitar for us now, but I think we would just, we just love playing music. And, and I think around the time of us starting, it was really rare for that because there was just a lot of bands doing it for the wrong reasons. And you still see bands doing it for the wrong reasons. But for us, it's never ever been about making any money or getting any sort of personal gain out of it. It's just been like, I don't want to have a normal job. I want to go on tour with my friends and go to crazy places that people shouldn't play shows in and, and just enjoy it. You know, we've, we just, we don't take any of it, anything for granted. And I think, I think there are other bands doing it now, but for, for the amount of time we've been doing it and we still love it, you know, it's still, everything's still so exciting for us. And you see so many bands that are so miserable all the time. And it's so crazy because you want to just go up and slap them and just be like, you don't know how lucky you are. You're 18 <laughs> and in another country, you know, like, we're we're still we still get a buzz like we're going to australia and it's like our fifth time going to australia on on monday and it's all we can talk about like we're just we're just really happy and we're and we're now really happy that we have started doing a lot better since uh lost forever came out and nothing's changed it's not like we've started doing better and we're like oh cool we're like playing bigger shows now it's like we're playing bigger shows and our jaws are on the floor we're like how has this happened right. in 10 years we've been trying and now it's like what the hell like we just went into the studio and, and actually wrote a record that we wanted to play and and it, it's really worked out 
Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, and I know it's such a like a hacky question because I know everybody like would be, oh, what's the secret to staying in a band? And it's like, <laughs> like I wanted to highlight it because it is such a such a weird thing. Like, yeah, to be as long as you guys are, and like you said, I think the key point there is the fact that you look at what you're doing as like a step-by-step process and that you're stoked on each step yeah i think the key the key thing is always taking a step back and i think at the start of it we were we were like just so in it that we didn't take the time to kind of look take a step out and realize how fortunate we were to be doing what we do uh and now it's like you know every day we'll play a show and come off stage and be like wow what the hell is happening and that's been that's been going on for like the last year two years where every day we come on stage and we're like i don't understand i don't understand what's going on like this <laughs> this is amazing you know the, the vibe is so so strong you know like the nerves are gone and we're and we're confident but at the same time we're surprised and it, it's just such a it's such an amazing feeling I, I just i really wish everyone could kind of feel how we feel and i know it's you know, I think the fact that we are so grounded and we do, we are aware of the, you know, the tragedies that are going on in the world at the moment is, is why we realize how fortunate we really are. You know, it's kind of once you know about more about the world, you kind of appreciate really how fortunate you are to not, not, not only not be in a war zone and fighting for your life every day or, you know, having these horrible tragedies happen to people. We're, we're living our dreams. You know, we're, we're literally doing what we wanted to do when we were 13 years old. And I don't know how many people can say that. It's crazy. Yeah, no, no, for sure. For sure. So you, you as a person, you were, uh, you, you always struck me like when we interact and hang out, you always are, you know, you're just always ready to have fun. You're yeah. always, again, I always like to uh, use the UK terminology. You're very chipper, chipper, chipper yeah. gent. Yeah. Uh, has that has that always been like you strike me as a person who's always kind of been that way where you're like, you know, you're the guy that's like, hey, like I'm ready to, you know, have fun. Like, sure, I'll play, you know, sports with you or sure, I'll do this thing with you. Are you yeah. have you always kind of been that dude to be like the the energizer as it were? I think I think so. At school, I was kind of one of those kids that sort of like knew everyone. And I think the only reason I knew everyone was because I made everyone laugh at me. Right. It wasn't it wasn't like I was a cool kid. It was like if I'd see someone coming towards me, I'd be like, oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> and everyone would be like, yeah, you are. You're funny. And then they'd go. You know, it would be like I wanted to be the butt of everyone's joke, but in a way where it was kind of I didn't take myself too seriously. Um, and did, yeah, just enjoyed. I'm very proactive, uh, especially when I was a kid. You know, I was the first one that wanted to hang out and wanted to stay out the latest and, you know, just do stupid stuff. But for a while, I mean, for a while, I'd, I wasn't, you know, during when we did the here and now and touring after that, we all got a bit down for a while. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I did kind of fall into a little bit of a slump where I kind of maybe was drinking a little bit too much and kind of was kind of the fat, fat guy that wasn't going to get off the bus. And, you know, it's nice to have that back. It's very, I do have it back now because since we've been vegan, we've all been looking after ourselves a lot more and, mm-hmm. you know, but I, yeah, I guess I have always been that kind of one that... Yeah, because I think it, it, it's interesting because especially within the context of independent music, the, the context is, okay, usually, you know, you're sad and depressed in your room listening to records. Like, of course, yeah. I'm generalizing things. That's why I personally identify with you because I'm very similar to you in that, that regard. And so, and I, I don't know if you found this, but it's like sometimes people kind of look at you like you have two heads where it's like, yeah. dude, like, dude chill out you're a 10 yeah. i need you at about a seven like yeah this, honestly my girlfriend is is feels exactly the same way this is what you just described because she'll go to work and if i've not been at work i'll be sat by the door like a puppy 
mm-hmm. you know, she'll open the door and be exhausted and I'll just be like, play with me, play with me, let's, let's do this, let's do that. You know, like I'm, I, I, I must have ADHD somewhere in me, but no one's diagnosed it. So I'll just carry on being crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, uh, do you have any brothers and sisters? I have a sister. Yeah. And okay. we spent quite a lot of time as, as kids, you know. Yeah, being it's an annoying my parents. So, so uh, describe to me your family life. How was your, you know, what did your mom and dad do for for a living, and how did you, uh, you know, how were you raised? Mom and dad are still together. Uh, have one sister. We grew up in the south coast of England, but my mom is from Manchester. Uh, my dad is from from London, Highbury area. Mm-hmm. And uh, grew up in a pretty normal, pretty normal house, really. Um, my dad was a policeman, which some people find quite shocking, <laughs> considering my uh, my view on things. Um, sure. But uh, I, I kind of grew up with this kind of revolt in me, I think. You know, I was very fortunate. I was raised very fortunately. You know, it's not like I came from a, a rough background and I, we weren't well off by any means, but we, we had to work for what we wanted as kids. And I think that's, we were raised properly there. You know, we weren't given handouts and stuff. And, yeah. you know, my first drum kit I saved for a year on my paper round to kind of get the money to get it together. And very happy. And then, then I hit about 13 and 12, 13 and became an absolute nightmare for my parents for good up till now. Uh, well, <laughs> well, I'll, 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 I'll get back to that in a minute. But did you, was your was your dad like you know on the beat? Was he a detective? Like what role was he filling? He well mainly for my growing when I was old enough to know he was uh, he was on the beat for a little bit. But then he became like a we had police dogs in our in our house. He worked at the airport. Like he checked people's bags at the airport. Oh sure sure. Uh, in the end, so one of the few good ones in the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I think it, I mean, it's easy, like you were joking to and alluding to earlier, it's easy to, you know, paint, uh, policemen with a very, you know, negative brush for yeah. many, many obvious reasons, but it's like, yeah. usually it's not the actual, you know, police person. It's the structure yeah. in which they're contained. And yeah. so it's like, that's, it's good for you to have the feelings you do now, but then obviously be able to contrast that in a realistic yeah. perspective, because otherwise it's like, oh, fuck the police. And it's like, well, yeah. like, I know I get that, but then yeah. there are good people that do that work. You know that? Yeah. I always say it's ACAB uh, other than my dad. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I say. That's why I can never say it because I'm like, well, I, I, I mean, I really back it, but I know my dad isn't one. Yeah. So I'm not going to say it. And also, I think I think police in America are, are completely different humans to police in in England, from what I see and have encountered anyway. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But no. you know, that's that's another story. Yeah. Yeah. No. That that's uh, that's on politic talk with uh, with Sam Carter. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, like 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 you were joking about, you know, once you hit kind of twelve or thirteen, what sort of nightmare were you? Were you actually getting in trouble with the law, or were you just completely disobedient to your parents? Where were you? Uh, where were you landing on that? spectrum i was just completely disobedient okay. I, I, I i took the the mick a bit but you know i wasn't that bad but i did go for a phase where i was just i didn't care about anything i was like i'm gonna be in a band no one's gonna stop me no i'm not gonna revise for school no i'm not gonna do anything i've got band practice leave me alone and it worked out thank god <laughs> Thank God it worked out because I have the pleasure of turning around and going, see, I told you, told you I was going to do it. Whereas if it didn't work out, they'd be like, now we're trying to help you out and you can't get a job, you know, and that does happen. So that's why I'm very, very happy for 
how it's all worked out. And so, so when did independent music start to infiltrate your life? Was that because uh, I mean, you said like twelve or thirteen. Like that's that's yeah. pretty pretty early. Yeah. Well, I started playing uh, drums when I was, you know, must have been just thirteen, if not just a little bit before, or you know, started taking an interest in it. And it was it was really Blink One Eight Two. That was Blink pretty much changed my life. And mm-hmm. as soon as it was Blink, then you know, my uncle was like, "Oh, you you know, you like this band? You should check out this band, Nirvana." And then I was like, "Oh, okay, now I'm getting credible." Uh-huh. You know, then I was going down the credible route, and I, I was listening to sub, loads of sub pop bands, uh, which I was like, "No, just give me fast drums, give me fast drums." And it was really pretty much going through every T-shirt that Blink One Eight Two wore and working out what were clothing companies and what were bands. Dude, and, that that is so like I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that because it's such a you know per, like even in the internet's infancy, that was such yeah. a huge part of like what bands wear and honestly still to this still in this day and age like you know i mean obviously it's like that's why you wear you know a sea shepherd shirt when you play like it is such a calling card that Mm. introduces people to stuff they might not have ever paid attention to that's it i mean i it was you know they were wearing bands t-shirts like you know like no effects travis was always wearing like rancid t-shirts so it was like straight away i was like oh rancid these are like the guys that you know were starting this and then it was you know lag wagon and you all of a sudden you get on this route of like all these like southern california like punk bands and you're like why do i live in england why am i not in california california is amazing (laughs) they have all these shows you know so it was that really and then it was kind of saving up to getting a drum kit and then having my cd player set up next to my battered drum kit and trying to play along to songs but playing along quietly enough so that the CD didn't skip. Because, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, nowadays people have got it great. They're like, oh, yeah, I do these YouTube covers where I put my MP3 on and it doesn't skip, or MP4, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, they're iPods and it doesn't skip and they can play along to it. It's like, yeah, the struggle is real when you've got your Discman on your floor, Tom, <laughs> and you're trying, right. you're trying to learn these songs, but you, you don't want it to skip, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're like, where's the balance? Where, where yeah. do I hit this? Find it. Find the balance, you know, and then it was setting up the seat, like your actual CD player behind you and it never being loud enough. And right. Oh, and, man. And then it, was tough, it was a tough upbringing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then your parents being like, please play a little bit quieter. It's so loud. Yeah. Please stop. It's yeah. like, okay. You wait for them to go to work and you're like, right, I'm going to, I'm not going to go to school today and I'm going to play drums all day. <laughs> <laughs> that and honestly, the drums are like the parents' worst nightmare. Like once, oh. once their kid is like, "I want to play <laughs> drums," it's like, "Oh God, it's over. It's over." Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Sam. It's like, oh, and then as if I'm going to play drums all day, and my neighbors aren't going to tell my parents. It's like, oh, just so you know, Sam was playing drums for nine <laughs> today. Yeah, it's so good. I could just see you being like, dude, I totally got them. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Phone rings. Next door neighbor. I remember his name. His name was Doug, and he just he always he always rattled me in. But he was a nice guy. But he did rattle me in a lot. Yeah, he was like, I'm just watch just watching out for you, Sam. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> the ears. He was worried about my ears. He didn't want me to get tinnitus. And so, did you, uh, as you started to, you know, be be misbehaving in, uh, you know, high school and stuff like? Do you, I, I I always sound stupid when I say this, but you guys call it high school, right? We had secondary school. Secondary, I think secondary right. school is high school. Okay, but if if you liked Blink and other pop punk bands, you called it high school. Oh, that was a oh, thi- that was a thing. Like you called it high school because you're like, dude, I'm not. I'm cultured. I'm not hanging out with the jocks. You oh, know, sure. that's amazing. <laughs> but, you uh, so yeah, as you started to go through secondary slash high school, um, did you? I presume like school and like a career path, like you said, that was not even. You weren't like, hey, you know, I know I want to be in a band. What can I do? What yeah, what can I do yeah. otherwise? 
for for some reason uh, i don't know why and it wasn't for lack of every single person around me trying i just was not interested at all i'd rather sit there for an hour making the teacher laugh than even slightly open a book it was ridiculous that's the, i don't now i think back and i'm like how the hell have i ended up here it's ridiculous but i just yeah i just i just wanted to play drums Right. And I would make, I would make up like lies. I, I I was in the school band, so I played with some of the teachers, and I would just I'd go into lessons and be like, "Well, I'm sorry, I've got school band practice. Like, I have to go and rehearse." But like, "Yeah, your your exams are coming up." I'm like, "So's the end of school party." Right. Yeah. <laughs> those those drums aren't going to play themselves, you know. Yeah, I I have a crucial component. Like, it's not yeah. it's not like you can if you have two guitarists, you could maybe fudge and get by with one yeah. guitar, one show. Yeah, not the drummer. No, no, no. I really needed to go and try and learn more Blink songs. Right. It was it was important. And so, what was your actual first band that you like played a show with? I was in a band. I was in a band called Stories for Nine Year Olds. Oh, uh, that that is a, that's okay. a long name, isn't it? But it I can't. Long... But I can't. Stories for Nine Year Olds. I mean, I imagine it's pop punk, but at that, that it was. I, I don't know. That that to me, that sounds like a you know a mid nineties emo band as well. Yeah, we were confused. Okay. Uh, we were coming at all kinds of angles. Sure. You know, we would, we, I mean, it was ridiculous, really. It was ridiculous, but so much fun. You know, those, I still think back and, you know, the guys that I was in a band with then, I'm still in contact with most of them. And, you know, we just, it was just great. Yeah. You know, being in the practice space and rehearsing for hours and just knowing that we were awful, but not caring. Right. Brilliant. <laughs> But it was, yeah, it was mainly pop punk. And, you know, then other influences started coming in. And then we sounded like God knows what. It was a mess. Right. <laughs> well, I also think it's interesting, like being from the UK, you have so many things kind of coming at you because, mm. you know, the UK music scene is so vibrant in the sense of, you know, you guys, well, I say you guys in general, <laughs> kind of, you know, tend to support your own in the sense of like, oh, like this is happening and like this is so cool. It's from the UK or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. then you had all of the, you know, the influences from America and bands coming and touring over there. So it's like, I, yeah. I, I see why bands that start, especially at that age that you're talking about, are so just like, all right, we want to put some metalcore in here, but we got <laughs> some of this and we got some of that. Yeah. And it's like, it's just a mixture because you have so many inputs. It was crazy. I tell you, Drive Through Records, remember Drive Through Records? Oh, I, of course I do. Drive Through Records was massive in my school. Mm-hmm. It was huge. Like people would walk around and like, you, there'd be more than five or six people in drive-through records hoodies like every day. Wow! You know, yeah. It was it was crazy. It was like that era of pop punk was just so big and in, in where I was from. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's yeah. very crazy. Then basically, as you started to you know come to the end of secondary school, were you just being like? I mean, it sounds like you were you, you just wanted to structure your life. You're like, I don't care what job I have. I don't care as long as I'm able to play music as long as i'm able to kind of do this i don't care what i do that was pretty that was pretty much it and it was kind of like i would be in every band possible okay you know i, I would i think before architects asked me to join i was playing drums in five bands uh you were that you know, guy i was that guy i was that drummer so i was like every every day i'd finish work and then i would go to band practice i would carry my cymbals on the train and i would get to practice and i would set up and then i would finish go to bed wake up go to work again it was yeah, it was busy, busy time. <laughs> what were you, what were you doing for work? I worked. Oh, well, I did minimal work really, but I worked in like a health food store 
Okay. Uh, a little bit. And uh, I worked in just some supermarkets and did like odds and ends, really. Yeah, yeah. Re- retail slash food service. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. I, I did work in a, in a drum shop actually in Brighton for a long time when I was a kid. I did like work experience there and then did like every Saturday there. And I would kind of, instead of taking money, I would sort of just take my wages in drumsticks oh. and as much stuff as I could get away with and then you know break them throughout the week and then get new ones on saturday yeah no which is i mean that's like that's the best currency possible you're like oh, oh sure. money is yeah money is fine but dude yeah. drumsticks i'm in drumsticks for for half the price i am in yeah <laughs> yeah did you feel like any of those you know five bands that you were playing in you know when you got asked obviously well because you didn't uh, it, I, i'm not even that clear on the the yeah. introduction of you to architects like because i mean obviously yeah. you you sing in the band like why did they even consider you trying out for vocals <laughs> well we had i kind of knew ali like briefly because we worked on the same street but i was i was playing drums in like four bands and and they were all really fun you know it was kind of like i knew that some were going to do better than others but i was never really sure you know mm-hmm. this city a band that i played for ended up getting signed to epitaph like years ago just after i left um nervous wreck was like a hardcore band and uh you know we did some cool tours of like panic and guns up and that was that was really fun but it was never like enough to kind of have make any sort of money to kind of live off just touring really mm-hmm. um and then there was another couple of bands which were just sort of you know fun playing around kind of trying to figure stuff out but never really got going all the while stories for nine-year-olds were still going on just in case oh dude <laughs> <laughs> you just had like 75 irons on the fire just waiting just waiting, like, waiting. Burn. and then uh my a couple of my other friends uh were in like a they we all started like a, a kind of not super group but you know other groups of people that were in other bands came together to start at this post hardcore sort of band and you know it was sort of like hopeful ripoff you know we were trying to do that sort of thing okay and uh, we ended up getting on a show uh supporting while well, like, being local support for bring me oh, bring nice. the Horizon. they played in brighton and we got like a first on for like 10 pounds or whatever mm. that was our fee and the guys from architects were in the crowd they, they came down they knew one of the guys that was playing uh, guitar for the band and they came down and um i remember like them coming in afterwards and saying you know how good it was and that they really enjoyed it i think that was the last time i ever got paid a compliment by any of them uh, <laughs> They came in and said that they really enjoyed it. And then I think it was that night or the next day, Matt, their singer, quit. He, like, left the band. And then, yeah, like, the day after, they had, like, a meeting, I guess. And then Ali came to my work because we worked on the same street and was like, oh, Matt's quit the band. We were wondering whether you'd like to try out. And I was like, dude, there is no way I can play drums like your drummer. It's not going to happen. And Ali was like, yo, Dan plays drums. Matt's the singer. I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that. No worries. Let's do it. You know, and then it was like, yeah, I I was like, let's try out, and we did it. Did a couple of practices, and I was a bit cocky, but I think you kind of needed to be to try out like a band like that. They toured with, you know, they'd done a couple of European tours, and to me that was it. I was like, well, they've done, they toured with the Chariot, and they toured with Beecher, and I was like, I want to do those tours. I want to, I want to live in a van. I want to live in a suitcase, and uh, yeah. And then they asked me to join, and I had to make five very hard phone calls to all my friends being like yo i can't do this band anymore i'm really sorry i'm i'm joining architects and the rest is history right um, that's so funny I, I i i have a feeling that they basically since you know ali knew you i think it's always you know and knowing your personality i think it's one of those things that are like hey uh sam's loud so <laughs> h- how about we ask him to sing 
Like I yeah. could I could almost see that conversation happening just because it yeah. is like you know you don't like. It, oh, I I mean I completely misjudged. I just completely missed something out. The band that I'd started, the Hopeful Band, okay. I was singing. Them. Oh, okay, sorry. Singing that band. Sorry, completely complete no. brain fart. Then. <laughs> but yeah, I started out singing in it because there wasn't. They already had a drummer, and I was like, hey, I want to be in this band. Okay. And they were like, why don't you try singing? Because I did do some singing in the other bands that I had been in, like stories. Uh, me and uh, the guitarist sang, so I was kind of like a Phil Collins <laughs> guy at the back. But this was the first time being like a real frontman. Got it, uh, got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I I thought that they were just being like, well, he's loud, so I think... He's fucking standing on his drum kit, so <laughs> he must be right, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's spectacular. So you really did feel that. Did the Architects guys be like, okay, you need to take this seriously and quit your other bands? Or was did you have to like wrestle around with that decision on your own before I, you called those... I think- I think it was kind of like I knew they had they had like a big headline tour coming up. Got it. Um, and they wanted me to come out and do the last song with their with their singer, so that like the the crowd kind of knew that I was the new front man, and it was you know all done in a very friendly way. You know, it wasn't like he's left now. There's a new singer. Mm-hmm. So I knew kind of after that and during just before that tour that they were going to be pretty busy, and you know it was kind of like all right, we're all going to leave our jobs and we're going to make a full go of this. Yeah, it was. I, I kind of knew then it was like okay, I'm going to be living. In a van. This is my this kids. is my choice. Yeah, and it was it was hard, but it was kind of like well, it was the only one that, without any offense to anyone that I was in other bands with, it was the only one where I really kind of felt like everyone had the same idea. You know, everyone wanted the same end result. It wasn't like well, you know, I kind of want to make money. It was like everyone was like, let's tour, let's play music, and let's travel, and let's just have fun. And that, and you know, as soon as I met the guys, I was like, right, this is it. This is the one. Yeah, I'm just gonna do it. I mean, each band member is gonna fill different roles from like either the business guy or you know the guy that knows how to fix stuff on stage, yeah. like whatever. But to have people like kind of keyed into the same vision, like that, to me, that's the most difficult part in keeping a band together is just that sure. that vision for sure. And I think it was it was immediate. Like as soon as I knew we had tours i was like i quit my job um i remember i remember printing off a laminate like a a tour poster and taking it to my work and it was like seven weeks of touring and i was like can i have this time off and they were like absolutely no way i was like well see you later i'm gonna i'm doing this and my mum being like what are you doing and you know i love i love how you like (laughs) it's just so (laughs) it's so you to be like yeah i'm gonna bring it like i'm gonna bring in a visual illustration yeah this is real there's artwork for this tour i'm not making it up (laughs) just just to kind of like make this point more grandiose of me quitting this job so good this is my band we have artwork So good. So did you, when, when you started to kind of shift into this, uh, you know, a touring lifestyle, like did your, were your parents the whole time just being like, we're here to catch you when you fall. Cause it's going to happen. I think it was, I, I think they kind of, I think they tried the best they could, you know, to tr- kind of get me to live this normal life that people were supposed to lead. And, you know, the, the, it just sort of continued on from school, you know, I didn't have any grades and I just left this job and was going on tour. I mean, it's a bit of a risk, you know, but I, they were, you know, as much as I did battle against them, they were incredibly supportive, as as were all of our families during that time and as they are now. But, you know, yeah. there was always a, a roof uh, over my head when I'd get back from tour. And, you know, it was always, you know, I remember, you know, the first time we toured America, we were on, we were living on like five dollars a day to like get dinner. And, you know, it was it was harsh. You know, I mean, you were with us at that time at Century Media and, yep. you know, we were we were having McDonald's for breakfast, lunch and dinner on yep. the dollar menu. And I remember we were all just, we were losing so much money. And, you know, I remember calling my dad and being like, I, you know, I never do this, but please, if you have any money, please, can you send me the slightest bit so I can just upgrade to the deluxe menu? 
because right. I can't stand the dollar menu, you know. But you know, they were they were so supportive, and I think at the time I didn't really realize how much it cost to have a put a roof over a you know a twenty year old. 19 18 18 year old at the time 18 year old's head you know pay for a four bedroom house or whatever it was and then have someone not there and then swan in like he owned the place when he got back you know it's so it's so cool to hear you say that because it's like i think that sometimes that gets lost in the hecticness of being in a band like when you actually are confronted with the reality of like oh dude like like i should be grateful for the people that kind of supported this i think and i think it you know it's times there are times when you realize you know like remember the first time my mom and dad came to see us you know after it all really started doing well and we played a london show and i think there was like a thousand or so people there and they came and stood at the side of the stage and i think after that they were like oh okay right you're not just talking out of your ass and blowing things up it was like this is actually something real now you know like it was a big moment for us because you know all of our family were there and saw us play at the electric ballroom to all these people and it was like yeah, this isn't just us supporting someone now. This is this is our pull in London. You know, this many people have come to see us. And yeah, I'll never forget just turning around and seeing my dad taking pictures on his phone and, you know, seeing my mum there smiling and, and everyone's family was there. You know, it was mm-hmm. a it was a big day. And that was the kind of day where it was like, you know what? Thank you so much for supporting us. You know, you're, you're the fucking best, you know. Dude, those 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 moments of just like, I mean, it doesn't even have to be obviously as grand as what you experience, but it's like just those, mm. those moments of being like, being able to reflect on that and being like that, that feels good. Like, yeah. It's so, it's so cool that you had the ability to, you know, be able to actually step back and witness that. So I still think, you know, I mean, still to like the, the last London show we played, they, they were there all our family up in the balcony playing, you know, it's ridiculous venue in London. <clears> and, uh, you know, I look up and my dad loves to end up follow the water. So like before before the end of Follow the Water, I just pointed off my dad. I was like, "This is for you." And then as soon as like I saw him there, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like you know, you just overcome with these emotions, and I'm like, I can't even sing. I'm just crying. Like yeah. I'm on stage, like crying. You know, and I think. I don't think there was a member of our band during our last London show that wasn't on stage, just you know secretly crying or like hiding some kind of emotion you know it's not it's you know we're we're just we're very i hate to say it not grounded because there's nothing to not be grounded from we're just normal people but yeah those those emotions are 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 very um they're overwhelming because you don't it's impossible to put it in your head where it makes sense and it's just like this Mm. you're experiencing so many things so yeah i i I completely understand where you're coming from. And so, yeah, it's just incredible, like you said, that you're able to like actually comprehend that. Because usually, yeah. you know, as you well know, on stage, it's just a blur. It's like nothing. Yeah, I, I think I, I, without, you know, I, I try not to be negative in, uh, at all or, you know, try as hard as I can. It's, it's difficult. But I think some bands that have these derogatory lyrics and have these derogatory purposes and, you know, sing about just the worst stuff, mm-hmm. you know, have these horrible meanings, horrible T-shirts, like I just I feel sorry for those bands because surely their parents are never going to be there to kind of you know be like oh I'm really proud of you 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 have an amazing message they're like yeah wow you've just made a thousand people shout something disgusting yeah know? so yeah. I think with, with architects it is very kind of family well we're we're a family we're sensible you know we're not like we're not doing this for money we're we're doing it for the right reasons you know and I, you hit on a point that I was going to bring up a little bit later like you know as, as architects started to you know. Uh, to take the long journey up and more people started to pay attention to you, um, you know, primarily in the UK to begin with the, you know, the UK music scene is so, and more, more so the press, like, you know, you yourself have obviously got in quote unquote trouble many times because, you know, you're not speaking through a filter, 
Like you are, you're, you're willing to call out other band members and you've obviously severed relationships with people based on something that either gets misconstrued or you are saying what's truthful in your own opinion. As you started to kind of navigate that, was it, was it shocking for you to all of a sudden have this stuff kind of fall on your lap in regards to, you know, either negative attention or negative stuff just because it is so heightened in the UK? I just don't think I realized how much people were taking on board like what we were saying i don't think i think i was just saying these things just like i would be saying them to a friend you know i was just we were really like bitchy people we you know we were kind of we were we thought we were just we thought we had the right reasons for doing this we were doing this for the right you know Mm -hmm. we just kind of we grew up on bands like every time i die and dillinger escape plan and botch and taken and you know we kind of grew up with these these bands that had like were like we are now you know that kind of weren't derogative to like to women weren't like saying just horrible things weren't like we were just like disgusted by music that was coming out just to make money and we were we knew it we could see it but we almost felt like no one else could see it when really everybody else could probably see it as well right but we would just we'd be like well that band's shit and we would just you'd not think that there was five people with real feelings we'd be like well they're just fucking shit they're shit but, oh great they're playing to two thousand people but they're fucking shit and i don't ever want to hear them they're disgusting right and then, and then magazines would be like architects ne- negative nancy's saying this this week tune in next week for who they're going to slag off now you know it was like and that was it we were too focused with like what everyone else was doing rather than just enjoying and appreciating what we had mm-hmm. and uh, yeah i didn't realize how how much people were gonna think we were horrible because then every time people would meet us they'd be like you guys are really normal like you're just quite funny it's like yeah and i guess when you read in a magazine like if i were to be like oh that band's a bunch of pricks if i said that now you know it sounds quite funny but then in a in, a, in like a magazine where it's like sam carter says this band is a bunch of pricks right. it's like it just comes across as a bit more aggressive you know <laughs> yeah it's well it's, it's also it's taken well it's not taken out of context it just has no voice behind it it has no exactly. yeah it has, it has no personality so yeah it is interesting especially just because you know like you were saying it's like you're at such a young age and you're so passionate about like you said what you're message is and what you're trying to get across and you feel like yeah you're just in in there's this pink elephant in the room and you're like no one's talking about this yeah it's it's crazy it is crazy but i still think now i think we've kind of come up against it as well with we come up against it every now and then not so much now as when we first started but we're obviously all recently vegan or i say recently like near nearly three years now right and uh we're very vocal about like our political views and you know our animal rights stuff and you know, some people would just think, just shut up and be in a band. You know, a lot we get that a lot. Of people are like, I'd rather, I'd rather you didn't talk about this stuff and you kind of, you know, just got on with being in a band. It's like, well, come on, man. Like, there's only so many times you can write a song about a girl breaking your heart. It's like, yeah. there's these things, there's these important things going on in the world, and we have a small platform to talk about it and to influence people like we were influenced by bands you know when we were growing up and you know blink 182 made me check out loads of other bands like you say like the t-shirts were so influential so it's like well nowadays we have a a, a wealth of social networks to go to say like hey we've gone vegan it's changed our lives or hey i really think you should support sea shepherd or peter doing these amazing things this week like please check it out and so many people are still, well, not as much as they, they used to be, but are, are so offended by that. They're so offended by you having a, a voice. But yeah. I think we, just, we worked out how to use it properly instead of just 
slagging people off for no reason. Right. I think that was, I think people were like, people were quite shocked that we went from slagging people off to being like, hey, don't eat that. Right. You know? <laughs> well, yeah. It, it, I mean, yeah, it is, it is disarming to people who aren't, you know, if a person doesn't pay close attention to, you know, architects and, and what you guys are doing, it's definitely, you know, it would be weird for them to pop in a year later and be like, oh, like, what's this, this, <laughs> this kind of sea change in, in the way that, you know, the band is and the way that the band, you know, conducts themselves to the public eye or whatever. It is a shame that, you know, people feel the need to obviously, you know, like you guys were doing, like be negative, but be overtly negative and have like nothing to really say beyond the fact that they just don't agree with you. I, I think a lot of people that, that feel like that as well, that are like, hey, you change. You never, you never used to sing about this stuff. You never used to talk about this stuff. It's like, well, come on, dude. I'm 25 now. It's like, I've grown up being in this band. Like people's opinions change. It's like, I'm, you know, mine have recorded and put on, on songs. But, you know, if I had my way, I'd go back and sing about the things that I care about now on the other records, you know, <laughs> right, it's just, right. we just kind of grew up not in the public eye, but we grew up being recorded and, you know, having people interview us and stuff, you know, we're not saying that's a bad thing, but you no, know, there's people, a, there's a, do- there is a living, breathing document of where you are as a person. And it, you know, in our own heads, when we're creating this art, it's a time capsule. It, me- yeah. it means the world to us at that particular moment. And obviously hopefully moving on after that, but then, you know, to be held to the same, thing that you said you know 10 years ago it's like like dude really like i yeah of course that lyric was terrible i'm sorry it's like it's like yo dude go back to your phone that you had 10 years ago and you'll probably be a different person to the person you were 10 years ago <laughs> totally you know, just my scribblings are on a bloody record <laughs> yeah no exactly something else i wanted to talk about in regards to the you know transparency of kind of the band in general was the uh you know i, I couldn't love the documentary more than you guys did the, the 100 days documentary which thank you i because it was so great because obviously it highlighted like you were talking about your guys's positivity and gratefulness in which you were to be in these ridiculous ridiculous locations and you know the the hecticness of world touring but then it also highlighted the fragility of being in a band from an individual basis of you guys being like you were alluding to earlier of just like you know you were you know drinking a ton of alcohol and you weren't you know happy at that moment i I guess what i'm trying to ask is the the idea of like showcasing how fragile a band can be like was that difficult for you guys to like get in the mentality to do that or was it was it kind of like no this is just who we are it's just kind of coming out on film you know what i think it was it was actually like incredibly natural because uh we just come off the back of uh the here and now and we just uh released daybreaker and daybreaker was the kind of record where we kind of got back to being like an aggressive band we knew what we wanted to do and we wrote a record that we we really enjoyed you know and then after that we had this world tour booked and uh We'd, we'd done a, a documentary where we did an arena tour with Rise Against and uh, our, our friend Tom Williams, Get Deluxe, that filmed that came out on tour with us to film the Rise Against shows. And he, he did an amazing job and, you know, kind of highlighted how, how fortunate we were to be on the shows and how well we'd been treated and how much we loved it. And I remember saying, like, we're, we're going to these crazy places. I remember being in Dan's car and it was me, Tom and Dan driving up somewhere. I remember saying, like, we have to get him to come out and film these shows because imagine how amazing it would be filming 300 kids going off, but in a cinematic way that he'd done everything else. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. we got it sorted and we, we managed to get him on board for it. But we kind of went into that tour kind of expecting it to be like, you know, maybe four or five good shows and the rest would be a train wreck. And we were like, 
we'd said to each other, like, we want to show, I'm saying like so much. We said to each other, yeah. we have to document the bad shows as well as the good shows. Like, we don't want to hide away from the fact that some of the shows are a bit smaller. We don't want to hide away from the fact that some people might not turn up to these shows. We wanted to really document it the way it should be, not like some other DVDs that bands produce where they just show crazy shows, they show the craziest footage. We wanted to show it being completely natural and completely honest. And that was what we set out to do from the start. And it just, that was the amazing journey of it was, we were so shocked by the shows. Every like, so many shows were so much fun. So many shows, like I can think now on my hand, on one hand, shows that were bad. I at the start of that tour would have said that the sh- I could count the shows on my hand that would be good. Right. And and that was it. It was just so overwhelming. It was so crazy to be in Kuala Lumpur playing one of the best shows of my life and uh, yeah. on all of us. It, it was just such an amazing journey, and, and it really did capture the how much we loved being in a band because we thought it was over. We th- when, after the here and now, we thought it was done. We thought people would have lost interest in us and we really did think that it was, it was over. And we got given the second chance and it was filmed, you know, us realising that we had the second chance to really give it another go. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was just really honest. It was, ama- it was a realisation for all of us and especially after seeing the film at the end, it was like, wow, yeah. this, is, this is incredible. Like, Tom did such an amazing job. Tom Welsh that filmed it did such an incredible job. The injection in the arm that it shows to the band of the health of the band, you know, it's it's like you said, it's evident on tape. But the, um, you know, I, I, since you were talking about it earlier, the, you know, the idea of, of that record cycle uh, that you basically were just, you know, you were completely beat up as a band. Um, mm. You know, where, like your headspace, like you said, when you, you know, you felt like you were drinking too much um, mm. and you felt like you were just kind of at the end of your rope, um, you know, was that, was that a full-fledged depression you felt like and kind of what, you know, what did you feel like was putting you there? Was it the direct correlation of like, oh man, I don't feel like the band's getting anywhere. Like, you know, how, what was your mental headspace like during that? I think it was from going from releasing Hollow Crown and having, we were like a band's band when we released Hollow Crown, you know, it was every band we toured with, with I'm not trying to sound arrogant by any means, but yeah. every band we would tour with would be like, your band's amazing, your album's amazing, play this song, play this song. And it was such a buzz around us. It was so exciting and so fresh at that point in time. And you know, we were we were young and it was so exciting. And then we we toured with all these bands that we looked up to and, and they, they liked us. And then we did The Here and Now and it was kind of like every show, every band that you'd play with, you'd kind of have to explain why you did The Here and Now. You'd have to like kind of try and convince yourself that it was the right idea. And, and then you see all these the magazines like starting to slag it a little bit. And then your fans are saying that it's awful. And then you're like, oh, we have made a really bad decision, but we're we've just released this and we've got to tour it for the next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, it was like just, well, we've just got to get through this really. Ali unfortunately left the band at that time as well. So it was kind of strange that for just having us guys without him. And uh, yeah, just sort of fell into this sort of lazy spiral of just, well, I'll just drink to get through it. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we just all kind of got really lazy. But when we started hearing what Tom was writing for Daybreaker, that's when it started getting exciting again. Ali rejoining us, writing a harder and more aggressive record, that kind of pulled us out. But yeah, it was just a real lull for the band. I kind of was, yeah, I was sick. Of, I didn't read anything that anyone had to say about our band anymore. I didn't go on our Twitter. I didn't go on our Facebook. I didn't go on our, I think we had MySpace at the time, didn't go on any of that because it was just, people were just slagged it off. Like and, and it didn't hold back, and it's like, even if you don't like the record, I've, we still put a year of our lives into writing, maybe more than that, of writing that record. We took a big step to go to America, and it was a big, brave, brave move by us to write such a bold record for the for our like, like third release. Yeah, uh, 
but it, it fell on its head and, and I don't think we believed in it either. And I think that was it. It was we were trying to sell something that not even sell it, trying to tour something that we didn't really know whether we didn't know whether we liked, you know. We were playing numbers count for nothing, like a song with blast beats at the start of it, which was really heavy. And then we play Heartburn next to it. And it was like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. We're confusing ourselves. How's a crowd supposed to get behind it? Right. No, that, I mean, it's so interesting. The approach, like to, to have the perspective like you do on, on a piece of art that you create, it's, it's so hard. Like I, I, I totally, you know, I, I do that often myself where it's like, I, I look at, you know, cause obviously I played in that band Makoto after Taken and yeah. the approach. That I love that record, by the way. Well, I really love that record. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I look at the, we tried so much harder to kind of quote unquote make it a thing with that mm. band than obviously Taken ever did. So I look back on the times of of Makoto and it, it probably in the same way that you look at that record that you're talking about, where it's like you you feel like it was fun and, and it well, it wasn't fun, but it, it was an enjoyable experience and you learned something from it. But yeah. you didn't feel like I guess your whole heart was in it because you felt like maybe you were you were you were trying to do the um you know what was expected of you and what was happening mm. musically at the time, you know? Um, yeah. Rather than, like you said, staying true to kind of the the vision that you guys already had sort of set out. I, I completely agree, and I, I. But I wouldn't change anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't go back and change anything because I think it was perfect. Because without that record, we wouldn't have gone and done uh, the the heavy record like Daybreaker. And I, I really do believe that we did that record. You know, not intentionally, but it really gave us longevity to be able to still be doing this now. I truly believe that because we kind of redefined ourselves and I don't think many bands can, you know, kind of go through that drastic change and then come out the other side and still be swinging being like, no, you're going to give us another chance. You're going to, you're going to give us another chance. And if you don't, we're going to, we're going to get in your face. And we toured Daybreaker like you wouldn't, you know, People would probably wouldn't believe it if they saw all the dates we did on paper. I, I wish we had them. Yeah. But you know, a hundred days was just a part of that of that run. But you know, we really did. It really did give us a kick up the ass releasing Daybreaker after after the here and now. And you know, we stepped up our live show. And then you know, bands that we were touring with started saying, you know, I really love your new record. And that sort of familiarity of, of Hollow Crown came back. And it yeah, it was just I wouldn't change anything. It was a it was a it was a stressful sad time, but when Daybreaker came back and we got Ali back and we worked as hard as we possibly could and then started getting people backing us again. Yeah. It was, it was an amazing feeling. Well, yeah, it's, it's the, you know, proverbial rebirth. It, it, it gives you that renewed life of like, like, yeah, this band was kind of at the brink of, of, for lack of a better term, death, but it was able to be pulled back by, you know, focusing on what we believed in to begin with, which is, you know, it's, it's hard to do that. Yeah, Um, for sure. The uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the you know knowing you and knowing like everything that we were just talking about in regards to you know you're like well I, I've never had any vision of anything but playing in a band so like does mm. you know does the idea of not playing in a band like terrify you does the idea of like being Sam Carter like Sam from Architects like that that identifier kind of falling away like how does that how does that sit in your head or is that something that you honestly just kind of suppress and push down. I really don't want the band to end. Like I would, I would. The thought of it ending is is horrible. And sure, uh, I you know I love love the guys and I love touring. But I think when it does, I think you know I kind of I'm excited for like the next project. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I I don't see myself as kind. Of, I don't really have an ego. I don't really I don't I don't consider myself as like Sam Carter or as as being an architect. So I think 
I really wanted, would love to get involved with more animal rights stuff. I would love to be a full-fledged member of Sea Shepherd and go out on the boats. I would love to go and put signs above SeaWorld that say SeaWorld sucks. Right. I would love to do, you know, I, I, there's so many things that I want to do, literally just things like that. I would love to be more involved with animal rights. Sam Simon is a, is a hero of mine. Sam Simon and Paul Watson are, are two people that like I aspire to be like, you know, and... Right. So I'm not scared of the end. I don't want it to ever come. But yeah. when it comes, I'm kind of going to be like, right, okay, well, I'm still going to go on tour. I'm just going to go on tour with animals. Yeah, That's- yeah. Well, no, <laughs> honestly, it's so, you know, I'm, I, I love to hear that because it, it's like when you watch your friends, and I mean, you know just as many people as I do that are in bands that, you know, really have got nothing to kind of hang their hat on besides yeah. the fact that, you know, they can play their instrument proficiently. Yeah, and you always you always have that fear in the back of your head where it's like, dude, when this you know, because clear, I mean, we don't have any historical context to prove that a band is going to exist in the hardcore metal world for forty years. Yeah, but you know, I can probably predict that that's not going to happen. So yeah. you're going to have something else before you know the end of your proverbial you know career life is concerned. Yeah, and so yeah, you just look at those people and it's kind of scary. But I mean, it's awesome to hear that you know the the reinvigorated passion or the, the newly introduced passion of animal rights is obviously like keyed you into that. So you have that vision of like, well, yeah, that's something I want to explore. I just don't have the yeah. time to right now. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, you know, it, it is terrifying. I mean, this is being an architect is all I know. It's all I've ever known Yeah. Um, from, you know, kind of growing up and it's all we all know, you know, the thought of this band being done is, is I'm sure as terrifying to me as it is to everyone in this band. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we had a talk the other day where me and Tom, me and Tom and Dan were sitting around and we were like, we could still be doing this in 10 years, you know, <laughs> you know, we release another few records. And if people still like the music that I, I can't see us stopping. We're not going to, we're not one of those bands that is, we're not writing records for money because we don't have any, we never have. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, we're, we're writing music because we love touring and we love going on tour and seeing people love our band. And if people still like us, we're going to keep touring. You know, as soon as people lose interest in us and they don't want us to tour anymore, then we'll stop. And then, you know, we can all go our different ways. But, you know, I I think it's not nice to, uh, to have like a burning passion in you. Mm-hmm. I think I think people should have a passion or something that they really care about and that they really want to do, you know, whether it be like cooking or whether it be running or, you know, whatever, as long as you have something that you really care about, you know, and I think more and more people are getting involved in animal rights and more and more people are getting involved in politics and things that they think they can change. And I think making a difference is something that just really appealed to me. It really has really grabbed me now. And it's kind of like, well, it's all very well and good wearing a T-shirt and saying how much I support these these organizations and these, these charities and, and, you know, saying saying how much I wish I could stop these things. But it's another thing actually going out there and doing it. And I think that's the next phase of my life will be actually kind of not just sitting there and saying stuff actually going out there and actually feeling like i'm doing something to actually make a difference yeah so i feel like it'd be very satisfying almost as satisfying as you know being in a band you know i'd still get the same rush I yeah think. no no i i agree wholeheartedly and yeah because you identified a passion and that's that's mm. and that's something that you know some people go through whole lives and don't even have an inkling of it they you know they may have a hobby like that word hobby yeah. always like oh because yeah. it's a hobby sounds like something you just like actively like oh, i need to find a hobby it's like yeah what do uh, you what like yeah that's oh, i've got to do something with my life it's like well done <laughs> right it's like, it's like 30 years to realize that <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. I really appreciate you hanging out, Sam. You are uh, you're you're a scholar and a gentleman, and I am very glad that we were able to make this happen. Ray, it is always a pleasure to speak to you, my friend. Always a pleasure. All right, there was Sam. I could not thank him enough for that. It was super fun to be able to just hang out and and shoot the shit, as they say. So thank you very much. Visit 100wordspodcast.com. Visit propertyofzack.com. The producer, as always and forever, he has chained himself to me through the rest of this life together, Tom Richfield. And until next week, I don't know, I'm not even going to tease next week because sign up for the email newsletter. Then you'll be able to find out who next week's guest is. So until next week, be safe. Everybody. Everybody.